What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Slab Talk. This is episode 97. We're getting really close to the 100 episodes. Uh, I appreciate you tuning in. My name is Amil Sarfani. I'll be your host for the show, and this is my sports card show. I appreciate you tuning in tonight. It's going to be a really good episode. We're going to be doing a recap episode of the Dallas Card Show from this past weekend that I attended. It was my first show as a dealer. I was behind the table as a as a full-time dealer, and so we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll get into what the market looks and feels like based on what I was seeing at the card show and the people I was talking to and the people that were around me, and we'll talk about this, but I had some serious heat uh, around me in terms of the people that were set up. It was really fun to do it, so we'll get into that. We'll get into the market. We'll get into trade show or trade night. I really think that's a great event happening at the card show that I think you should be prioritizing if you decide to go to the card shows. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be talking about some of the deals I made. Uh, I think there's a lot of fun ones in there, and I'll talk through that process uh, of course, it's fun to show off cards, but obviously the reason you come here and listen to this show is about process and why uh, things are happening the way they're happening, why I'm making some of the decisions that I'm making. So we're going to get into that as well. It would uh, be crazy if I started the show off any other way other than thanking all of the people that I met at the Dallas Card Show. I do this every time I go to the card show, come back, and it reminds me why I'm in this hobby. Don't get this mixed up. The, the purpose of being in this hobby, in my opinion, is to meet other people and meet other sports fans. It's a great conduit to just be able to talk sports, talk collectibles. Uh, it's just a reason to, to hang out. And that becomes clear every time I go to the card show, whether it's being set up at a table or meeting people at trade night. Um, it's so much fun to actually talk to people who are in this hobby, who spend as much time as you do uh, looking at cards and looking on uh, Instagram and eBay and all the auction houses to find the collectibles that we all love. Um, but the best part of it is is if you use this hobby as a conduit to meet other people. So thank you to everybody who showed love, who I got to meet for the first time, uh, and just all around, that's the best part of it. So thank you. And I have to say thank you to the, my table mates um, at the card show. Uh at Reservoir Cards, Ryan, appreciate you, man. He kind of organized this and and just told me where to be, and it was really nice, and, and it wasn't super hectic for me because there there is a, a process that goes into getting one of these tables at a card show, and if you're not doing it all the time or you don't know who the organizer is, it's a bit tougher, and it may not even happen, or you may not even have the opportunity to get a table at one of these larger card shows and Dallas card show being one of the largest, it is hard to get a table. So I got to appreciate my guys, uh, Ryan at reservoir sports cards and, uh, Luke at low pop card shop, uh, loved hanging out with you guys. I appreciate you letting me table with y'all. Uh, the heat you guys brought to the, 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 the table and, and what you guys were putting into the showcases made my life a lot easier because everyone around me had sick cards to show off. So it was fun to be able to piggyback off of each other when someone would come Look at one case, go to the next case, go to the next case, and go to the next case, and still be wowed throughout the entire kind of row of table. Uh, I also want to shout out my guy at Rodman PC. Uh, I met Rodman for the first time this this uh, at the Dallas Card Show, and it's someone I've seen on, across Instagram. He's got this insane collection, but hearing his story, he actually told me how he got to where he is today. And it's such a fascinating story. He's actually someone that was in the hobby before the boom and well before the boom, 2011, 2012 uh, timeframe. And it's awesome to see someone like him uh, who's been in the hobby for a long time, kind of reap the benefits now, right? If you've been in the hobby for from before 2017, 2018, 
good for you. You should you should have benefited from the crazy market boom because you put the time in and the work in. And Rodman was a, a great story and such a testament to 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 how if you do what you love and you just kind of that's how you approach some of this stuff. Eventually, if you're lucky enough, it finds you. Uh, and that was a really fun story. So thank you to all those guys. Really appreciate y'all. Um, let's get into the actual show itself. So this was my first time at the Dallas. Uh, this is my first time uh, being a dealer at the card at the at a card show. Now I was behind the table at the National with Rob. However, I was kind of there uh, and had a place to actually be. It was kind of a home base, but I didn't actually have a case. I didn't have cards set up, uh, and it was fun to actually have cards set up so that people can come and take a look at it. Uh, and, and, and I got to actually display my collection there. Um, so that was a lot of fun because then you get to be the person that gets to look at other people's cards and do the whole dealer thing. Uh, and there's a lot of fun involved in that. Now I'll tell you, uh, dealing at a card show is no joke. It's a freaking grind. I mean, it's all day, nine to five, nine to six, you're behind the table. You get away, maybe you get some lunch at the food truck outside, but you're back at your table. I was lucky enough to have a couple people around me that I trusted to look after my cards uh, in the showcases, uh, and that was uh, that was a very that was very nice to have uh, because I was able to walk around, I was able to get lunch. Uh, but it is an absolute grind to be at one of these card shows as a dealer. So my respect level for people who do this all the time and who go to different shows across the country and travel for you know, dealing at card shows, uh, my respect level for you has gone up tremendously. It is, it is an absolute grind. Uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. And and you're sitting there all day. Um, and so I will say like, that was an eye opener for me. If I, if, and when I do it again, that'll be easier because I'll have that in mind, but, uh, it was tiring. There's no doubt about it. And if you do, if you're a dealer at the show, you're my, you might be behind the table from nine to six and then turn around get a little bit of dinner, and then go right back to trade night if you're really trying to be active and trying to maximize your time at one of these card shows. That's typically the schedule. And so it's pretty crazy to, to, to go from 9 a.m. all the way to you know midnight, 1 a.m. Some people are staying up way later than that, but by midnight, I'm out. I tap out. I'm an old man at heart. So it's a crazy schedule. But it is, uh, so that's definitely such a huge part of it. Um, now, some of the great parts of dealing, the things that I really like about dealing is that you get to see what other people are looking at. You get to see what people actually like. And it's fascinating because the things that I come into the show thinking that people are going to be looking for are not exactly what I think that people are going to be looking for. And it was pretty crazy. So next to me was Ryan and he has a couple of Jalen Waddle cards, really nice Jalen Waddle cards. Gold out of 10, uh, autograph cards, so really nice Jalen Waddle cards. But out of all the cards in his case, he had some sick Tua. He had an awesome Patrick Mahomes, which got a lot of attention. Uh, but all, a lot of, out of all the cards that he had in the case, it felt like the Jalen Waddles were getting asked about so much. And it's interesting because my perception is that people don't really do that much with skill positions. But again, one of my favorite things about the hobby is that there's a million different ways to do it. There's so many different types of people who are buying sports cards. So I saw people who like Jalen Waddle stuff. Uh, I will say the lower end stuff moves a lot faster at card shows just because you have a lot more people who are who can afford to pay somewhere between $100 and $500 for a sports cards and they're for a sports card and they're not necessarily sitting there doing all the research. It's more like I like that card, I'm going to make a gut 
kind of buy here and and buy that card. And that happens a lot more with lower end cards. So I'm glad I brought my stuff that I had bought kind of during the boom that I thought was going to go from like 400 to 1,000, but now sits at like 100 or even bought it at 250 and now it's at $50. And those are all kind of lower end stuff. A lot of my late 90s Metal Universe, Alan Iverson, Shaquille O'Neal stuff that I bought that I thought was going to go up in value didn't end up going up in value. In fact, came way down in value. And some of those cards that I honestly, with my strategy right now, of trying to consolidate my collection, trying to go into higher end cards that uh, that I think are really, you know, truly collectible, I want to get rid of some of that stuff. And it was really nice to be able to move that because that stuff moved. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, who's going to buy that stuff off of you if you don't want it? That's what I'm trying to say, is that there are a lot of different types of people in the hobby. And what you do in the hobby is just one person's. In fact, that's what makes it fun because it's so unique. Nobody buys the same as anybody else. So I'll give you another example of someone who bought all of my lower-end stuff at a huge discount. Either one, you know, one person was someone who's actually starting up a card shop in a different city. And they just need inventory. They need things to fill their cases. And so they bought a lot of the lower end stuff, knowing that people who are mostly coming into card shops locally in their cities are doing this for fun. They're doing this as a hobby. They're bringing their kids by, whatever it may be. But uh, that lower end stuff is the stuff that moves a lot faster over there. And so they're willing to buy that stuff from me. Now, I may have to give it at a discount. But again, I don't have the opportunity or the setting or the environment to sell that kind of stuff on a regular basis, especially because I don't set up at shows that often. And so it was nice to move that stuff to people who could actually find value in it and make money off of it. Again, when you're selling bulk like this, uh, if you're trying to get rid of stuff, you may be losing money. You may be selling at 70, 75% of whatever the eBay comp is. But to me, I'll take that cash. It's more valuable as cash to me than it is in those cards that I no longer have any value for. So let them go. And that was very interesting to see. So I was able to consolidate my collection for sure. And it was fun to see what different types of people collect because at some point, if you get good enough at this, you start realizing there's, oh, this guy that likes uh, a certain type of card. Okay, so when I see this card next time, I'm going to maybe buy it and see if I can sell it to this person because I know that's the kind of stuff that they buy. And when you connect yourself to more people in the hobby, that becomes more clear, right? Like someone who likes specifically like a cracked ice auto or whatever it is. Cool. I know that person really likes that card. I I now have a network of people that like it. And so now I can maybe go buy it if that opportunity presents itself. So those are all the really fun things that happen if you're sitting behind the table. Another really fun one is... People actually will show you their cards to see if, if if you're buying their cards. Now, a lot of times that comes with the expectation that the dealer is going to want to have a, a little bit of a discount. They're going to put that card right back in their case and try to mark it up. So they may buy it from you for at 70% of eBay comps, latest comps, whatever they may be, and put it right back in the case for uh, 90% of eBay comps and try to make a 10 or 15 or 20% margin on that. And so that's a pretty open conversation that happens when someone comes over to your table. Now, the key is that most people don't agree to that. Most people are not going to sit here and sell their cards at 70%. If you're trying to cash out, it's a great place to go and cash out because someone will cash you out. It may not be at the market comps, but that's what that's the price to pay for the ease of selling it to someone who's got cash on hand. So there is always a give and take there. And so I do think um, that's something that you should have the expectation for if you're going to go to a card show to sell your cards and you're not set up as a dealer. The uh, 
the the advantage as a dealer is that you get to show all your cards. The the disadvantage as someone who's not set up is that nobody can see your cards. Now, the fun part of this is actually being a little bit of a little bit aggressive about getting people to show me their cards. It is crazy to me the amount of people that walk around these card shows and they've got even just a tiny little case, you know, a little just a little case. But it's got crazy fire. You never know what's in someone's case. And it is so much fun to say this person who you naturally develop some sort of like initial perception of, you don't expect to see some some anything in their case, but they come up to you or you ask them if they're selling anything and say, and they say, yeah, maybe here, why don't you take a look, take a look at their cards and you pull it out and you're like, oh shit, this is crazy. You got $4,000 car, $5,000 car, $1,000. These are crazy cards. So one person comes across uh, the, 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 um, the table and they show me their case and all of a sudden there's crazy cards in this. And so we try to get into a deal. Unfortunately, we couldn't make it happen, but that is what I was hoping for. That's the experience I was hoping for as a dealer is for someone to come across the, the table, show me their cards, potentially be ready to move on one that is a high value card and maybe I'm either trading up or they're trading down or whatever the the deal may look like, but that's the opportunity you get as a dealer. And that's what I wanted. It didn't happen. I wasn't able to get to a deal with this one person. However, it was fun to actually go through the exercise because I know if I do this enough, those types of deals do come around and that's where you get to make a little bit of money in this sports card hobby. And I do think dealing at card shows, even locally, you don't have to do it at the, the biggest card show at Dallas or the national or whatever, but dealing at card shows is a great way to make some money. I mean, again, that little arbitrage that you can take advantage of comes into play uh, pretty frequently. So um, that is, uh, that was a big part of it. The other piece of this that I think is so important is like in real estate, location is everything. I will say, unfortunately, we were stuck in the back of the room towards a corner with our backs facing the front door. And so we didn't have the best spot in the world. And I, I do think that changed my perception of the show. There were a lot of people there. The The foot traffic was really good, especially on Saturday. It was a little bit lighter than I expected on Thursday and Friday, but that's to be expected. It's the early days. People are working. But Saturday was good. The foot traffic was good. We just probably, I would say we I got 20% less of the same traffic as someone who was set up in the best spot in the, 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 the show. And maybe that percentage is actually higher. If you are, have a table that lines one of the two major walkways that go up and down the show, you get so much more eyeballs. It's so much easier. And people just sometimes don't make it to the back of the room. Again, there's so many tables. There's so many cards. You can walk around the showroom for hours and still not see everything. And so if you're not in the right spot, uh, it does affect uh your your ability to, to have people look at your cards. And so that became very clear to me. I think that's going to become a real priority is to figure out a way to get really good spots and really good real estate at these card shows. Um, let's talk about the market because I think one thing that going to a card show really allows you to do is get a real pulse on it. Again, when people are physically there actually buying and selling, these are the most active people in the hobby because they're at a card show. You get a real pulse of what's going on. What's clear to me is that people are still pretty card rich and pretty cash poor. Uh, that uh, that feeling of getting rid of cards that you bought 
back when the the market boomed and you got into cards that uh, maybe you didn't want to get into or whatever. Uh, that clearly was still a feeling there. People still have cards that they don't want to let go of at losses. Um, and people are card rich and cash poor. There's a lot of trading happening. Everyone's trying to trade. I love trading. I think trading is a fascinating piece of the hobby. It's a psychological, like, to figure out what someone is prioritizing in a certain trade and what players they like and what types of cards they like because there's so much nuance to the sports card hobby, it is really fun to get into a trade that goes for 30 minutes, 40 minutes because these trades, especially higher value trades, uh, are a lot of back and forth and you're trying a lot of different ways to make a trade happen. I'll talk a little bit later in the show about a, a, a trade that uh, I got done valued around the $5,000 mark. Um, and it, it produced to me two of my favorite cards I picked up at the show. Uh, and so we'll talk about that, but trading is such a fascinating way of dealing at card shows, especially right now, because again, people don't have a lot of cash. They spent a lot of cash. The fever pitch that we went through a year and a half ago before the card market came down, if you go back and remember what that felt like, if you were active at that point, I mean, it was so much FOMO. It's clear that everyone went in pretty heavy and spent a lot of their money. And now they're stuck with some cards. So all of that is pretty clear to me. The thing I do think is actually benefit that that actually is a good sign that the market's in a good place is that there are a lot of people that still have their prices priced really high. Um, there's not as many, the volume of transactions I would argue is less right now, not necessarily because there's not enough foot traffic. It's because pricing is off. People are still, especially at these shows, I don't quite understand why people are priced so high. I think if you're spending over a thousand dollars on a card, you're doing at least some research on what that card goes for. So Everyone is entitled to price their stuff the way they want to. I price some of my cards really high because, honestly, I don't want to let them go. My PC Tim Duncan stuff I brought to the show, I probably shouldn't have. And people say this, like I I hear this where it's like, if you're not ready to move it, don't bring it with you. Uh, Because what ends up happening is people ask about it. You're priced really high on it. You have to say the really high price. They say, oh, that seems pretty high. And then they make the assumption that all your stuff is priced high. So I do think... That's one mistake that I make. And if you do price your cards really high, I do believe there's a risk in how people perceive the rest of your cards, even if aren't if all of your cards aren't priced that way. So only a couple of my cards are priced that way, but it, I believe it does hurt the perception of how I price my cards in general. And people just come at each card that I have priced, assuming that it's high. Now, I try to price my mid-tier and lower-end stuff really nicely, like really at comps, I'm there to make deals. I'm there to to move all my cards. And so people do figure it out pretty quickly that at least my prices are pretty good. But I did notice that a lot of people were priced pretty high at the show. Other takeaways I had in terms of what players were um, super hot right now, uh, Anthony Edwards in the basketball card market. I mean, on fire. You can't get your hands on Anthony Edwards anymore like you could even just two months ago. It's, it's, It's too hard now. The, the the hype has already picked up. People are expecting big things out of them. The Rudy Gobert trade has made the Minnesota Timberwolves a real contender. And so the Anthony Edwards market has gotten really hard and really hot quickly. I mean, fast. And so I did notice that I wanted to get my hands on some Anthony Edwards. I know a lot of people around me wanted to get their hands on some Anthony Edwards. 
and it didn't quite work out that way because uh, it was hard. Um, the other thing that I noticed is that football, man, QBs move. I will say NT RPAs, flawless RPAs, cracked or uh, con- Panini contenders autos, um, those cards, uh, low numbered prism stuff of of the high end QBs, but there's a lot of them. QBs do move, and f- football is very interesting to me for that reason. Like as I look at the football market, it's a little bit more stable. You don't have as many dips. You do have some rises that happen uh, in the preseason as hype uh, takes over. However, that gets pushed up in the timeline, and so it's happening earlier and earlier. And at some point now, timing doesn't really matter. However, I do notice that in football, um, it does move. There is value. Like, I think that right now the biggest value in football was Lamar Jackson. That was made clear at the show. The big players at the show were making massive Lamar Jackson moves. Um, And it was really cool to see because I saw people like Noble Novelty. Shout out to you. You were set up right behind me. He picked up a sick Lamar Jackson uh, National Treasures RPA. It had the Ravens logo as the patch, the stitched Ravens logo in the patch. And I mean, it's beautiful. Congrats to you, guy, to, to you, man. And if you haven't seen it, go to at Noble Novelties Instagram and check it out. It's a sick card. But those are the types of cards that those the, the, the big players in the game were going for. So that was really um, cool to see. Um, but that that's my takeaway from the market. Still very strong. I will say the, the the good sign, the indicator that the market's in a good place is the fact that people are priced pretty high. They're not coming off their prices. I would honestly be a little bit more uh, frightened if people were fire sailing the best cards. But the best cards are really hard to get deals done on. Uh, they really take a lot of massaging and they do take um, really good offers. Uh, and, and that is a good sign for the market in my opinion. One other takeaway that I had is if you get the deal that you're looking for, take it. Take the deal. Maximizing the deal when you have it in front of you is an easy, trying to maximize a deal that's right in front of you is an easy way to lose out on a deal. I had someone that I was sitting nearby that was looking for a particular player's card and they had a card that everyone at the show wanted. I mean, everyone at the show wanted that card. And so he had like 10 offers on that card, different types of trades. Some were Anthony Edwards trades, some were Lamar Jackson trades, some were all kinds of different trades. And he was, you could tell he was trying to get the exact right trade for himself. Two days go by and sure enough, he doesn't end up with any of them. The cards that he actually wanted are no longer available because those people made moves as well. And so those deals didn't happen. And I, when I talked to him about it, the first thing he said is, yeah, I should have taken the deal when I had it. Like I had it, it was there for me. I had a deal that I, I really liked and I tried to get a deal that I really loved and I should have taken the deal I really liked. So another little piece of advice when you, when you are in the position to make a big deal, take it if it feels good to you. All right, I got to take some time in this episode to actually talk about some of the deals that I got done because that is a really fun part of the show. Uh, going to card shows is the best way to make huge shifts in your collection. It's why I like to go is that whole things happen. I mean, I sold tons of huge parts of my collection and traded into cards that I really like. And I talked about this on the last show, but I love where my collection is headed. It feels way more right to me. And so uh, I want to show you some of the cards that I picked up. So one of the cards that I picked up, and I would I would suggest if you're listening on podcast, uh, 
on Spotify, there's video podcasts, or you can hit it up on YouTube. I do post this uh, episode on YouTube as well. So if you want to actually see these cards, definitely go there. Otherwise, I will have these posted on Instagram. And if you're following me, you've already seen a couple of them. But I got to start with the Spurs stuff because that's always so much fun to me. Uh, This is a card that I didn't quite expect to get, but it was kind of part of a larger deal that I did. And it's a George Gervin 2013 Flawless Auto, a number to 15. Not a huge card by any means, but it's a Spurs card. And I will say being in San Antonio and going to more local shows, I think that's a card that I can move here in town. And the fun part of something like this, because I'm here in San Antonio, is this morning I came into the office and I was talking to a customer of mine who who works out of the office space, and we were talking about uh, the fact that I have my co-working spaces named, the, the conference rooms in my co-working space. I've got three of them. I've got a small, medium, and large conference room. I've named them the Parker Room, the Ginobili Room, and the Duncan Room. Again, you can't match my Spurs love. It's there. It's all there. I, actually, all of San Antonio Spurs fans can match it because we all love the Spurs that much, and there's not a competition, but... I do love them enough to name my conference rooms named after them. And he comes up to me and he says, you know, you got to have one named Gervin, man. Where's your Gervin room? And I told him about this card I got. And he, and he was telling me how he used to be in the collectibles and you could tell he was in it because he immediately name dropped the fact that he had a LeBron refractor and a BGS nine five way back in the day. And he sold it for some tiny amount because at the time it, the the hobby wasn't where it is today. But, I, but he, he got back into it a little bit and had a little nostalgia because I brought it up. And so, again, being in San Antonio, those are the types of cards that are really fun. Uh, shout out to at Basketball Card Paradise on Instagram. <clears throat> this is a card I, I traded into from him. Uh, this is one of my favorite card pickups, if not my favorite card pickup of the weekend. It's a sick uh, Tony Parker 2020 Panini one and one. If you know me, you know that I like this set. Um, but the f- the crazy part of this card is that it's an on card auto. It's a it's an RPA game worn uh, uh, and player worn. Um, it's a logo man. I'm gonna let that sit in. The patch here is a logo man patch. And if you know, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that logo man patches and NFL shield patches are absolutely the best type of patches you can get. And the fact that it's game-worn, player-worn to me is just an absolute I, a must-have. I had to have this card. Uh, we tried to get a deal done several times on this card uh, f- over the week, and he knew I'd be the buyer for it. Uh, we finally ended up getting it done, and I traded one of my Kevin Durant cards for it. But one other thing to notice about this card is that it's it's a one-of-one. One. There is no other card like it. It's a one-of-one, one, logo man, uh, patch auto card, on card auto, sick card, my favorite card pickup of the weekend. The next three cards that I want to show you are all of my strategy of getting more risky in the short term with uh, for, and trading out of cards that I don't want to hold long term that were initially long term plays. So the first one I'll show you is this pretty sweet Darius Garland Panini Select rookie card. Uh, the concourse. So if you know Panini Select, it's got three levels, concourse, premier, and uh, courtside. I love the courtsides, but I do like the concourses, especially when it's uh, gold out of 10. BGS 9.5 True Gem Plus. So it's got one of the subgrades as a 10, um, if you remember what uh, the True Gem Pluses are. So uh, this is a sick card. 
Darius Garland, I'm a big fan. I think he's going to be great. I think the Cavs are really going to be a great team. I think they've got a great core. I talked about it on the last episode. I went into the Dallas card show and I got myself a very, very high value Darius Garland card. Again, any of the golds, true golds out of 10 are so sought after in the hobby. And if I'm going to get out of longer term plays, by the way, I traded uh, a 2008 LeBron James refractor and a PSA 10 plus a little bit for this card. You may be wondering why I would do that, but again, it's a low-end, non-numbered, non-rookie year LeBron card for a very, very high-value rookie card of a player that I believe in, but is yet to really prove himself. Uh, But I believe in Darius Garland. I'm glad to have a very, very cool Darius Garland card. The next two cars were part of the same trade. This was the $5,000 value trade that I made uh, over the weekend, Uh, and... uh, Shout out to DD Hoops Cards. Uh, I traded a Justin Herbert Purple Prism PSA 10, number to 125, so a really nice Justin Herbert card. That's how the deal got done because uh, the Justin Herbert cards have short-term upside if Justin Herbert comes out and performs like Kyler Murray did at the beginning of last year. So uh, that's a card that I included in the trade. I also included my 2005 Tom Brady Black Refractor, number to 100, in a BGS eight or eight five i believe uh and although that's a good card you have to get a very specific brady collector to get that card and i don't have that network and so i decided i was going to trade those two cards for two cards of a player that i've always believed in that i think is stuck on a not so great team that just lost chet homegrin to an injury so they're going to be bad again i think uh in a very deep western conference talking about None other than Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think Shea Gilgis has a ton of talent. I really like uh, what he can become. He's still pretty young, and every year he's made huge leaps, uh, and the OKC Thunder just shut him down at the end of the year because they're tanking and want to go after a high draft pick. And so I am hoping that either the Thunder get it together or Shea Gilgis gets upset. It's a third year of a losing system that continually shuts him down, and he requests a trade. Uh, If the Thunder do that and load up on draft picks again and go back to being bad because they're going to build around Chet Holmgren, uh, that may put my guy, Shea Gildas-Alexander, in a good position to get traded to a winning situation. So the two cards that were in that trade were a 2018. uh, I I got the uh, concourse select of Darius Garland. This is the courtside. So very cool car, the Neon Orange Pulsar. It is number 213. I really like... The uh, select courtsides, I think they're my favorite non-auto, non-RPA cards. The designs are so much cooler than the Prism cards. Uh, these are the cards that I think for 2017 and 2018 players, guys like Tatum, guys like Shea Gilgis Alexander, Luca, Trey, these are really nice cards to have of those players. I'm a fan of them if you're not going after the non-autos and non-RPAs. Um Included in that trade was also another Shea Gildas Alexander tie-dye prism select courtside. This is number 225. Again, a very cool design, very cool looking card. These are very pretty cards to me. The reason I did this, although Shea Gildas Alexander is a risky play, again, I'm going after low numbered, very high value Shea Gildas Alexander cards uh, or car guys that I really believe in as uh, potential number ones on a winning team. Uh, so, that, those are the cards I picked up. 
You can see where my strategy is going. I didn't pick up any huge Tim Duncan cards at this show. I did pick up that big Tony Parker card. Didn't expect that because uh, I don't buy a ton of Tony Parker stuff, but that's the kind of Tony Parker card I want. But you see how my collection is changing. I love it. I'm excited. I'm getting into very cool low-end collectible pieces uh, of, of legends that I love uh, and short-term plays of guys that I think uh, have short-term upside in uh, the NBA. Uh, I plan on getting into more football after the season, I believe. I don't think I'm going to be buying a ton during the season, uh, but I'm super excited. I'm rejuvenated. Every time I go to the card shows, whether it's a national or Dallas card show or San Antonio local card shows, uh, I come back a happy guy, uh, and I'm so excited to continue doing what I'm doing here. Really appreciate you. If you've listened this far, please do subscribe to the channel. Leave a rating and review on podcasts. I cannot stress how much I appreciate that. Uh, And uh, please do share it with your friends. Help us out here at Slab Talk. I appreciate you. Have a good night.